You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 244 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? What's happening in our world? <laughs> totally thrown me off because now I can't just say fair to middling, can I? Because what's happening in our world does not have yeah, a fair different. to middling kind of answer. You yeah. know what? Well, I'll tell you what's happening in our world. I am mm-hmm. sort of relieved and exhausted and and a little bit, you know, happy today. So I just would right. like everyone to take that moment to think about the fact that we're not fair to middling today. We are actually oh. relieved, Ooh. exhausted. And this is exciting. Happy. It is exciting, isn't it? Why? Why? For a, you know, for a, well, because the um, Shoalhaven Readers and Writers Festival was on the weekend. It was oh, on Saturday. Yes. And as you know, I've been very involved in um, in organising it and then I was actually in it. Um, and then mm. so, you know, the fact that it was over and Sunday came and it had all gone extremely well mm. and was very, very well received just left me feeling, you know, exhausted and excited and relieved and a little bit happy. That is so cool. That's um, yeah. Well, another reason, another reason you need to be, you should be uh, very, very happy, is that you are on the top fifty kids books. I know the better reading top fifty yes. kids books, um, Australian favourites. I was so oh excited, and God. you know, I'm one of. I'm one of quite a few Australian authors who are on the list. I know it's yeah. really. But, but I'm looking at myself because so. God love them. My friends and you know readers have been sending me pictures because one of the things that I didn't expect with mm. making that list was that it puts your books back into Big W, and you know Big W is a big seller of books in this country, um, and it puts you into Big W in this huge display of the top yes. fifty kids books. Fantastic! And so there I am, snuggled up on the shelf next to Rick Rod, you know, Rawdon, Riordan. I never quite know how to say it. Percy Jackson, let's just say Percy Jackson. And you know, with Harry Potter and all yes. of those enormously, massively favourite up selling next books. to Enid Blyton, um, L. M. Montgomery, which is Anne of Green Gables, Andy Griffiths, and Don- Doctor It's extraordinary. Doctor Seuss. 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 Hello. It's extraordinary. Oh. Extraordinary company to be in. I'm this so excited that, to see the Mapmaker Chronicles there. Like they're just sort of like there they are. And I, and I have to say a big thank you to um, to our podcast community and to my readers mm. everywhere because it is actually a it's a, a voted thing. So I can only assume that. Um, all of you fabulous people have come on board and voted for the Mapmaker Chronicle. So yes. just huge thank you. Huge thank amazing. you. I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate your support. It's amazing. Great effort, team. It's just fantastic just to see. Seriously, it's like it's next to David Williams. It's next to um, <laughs> Peter Hellier. It's just, it's just like Look at you. Morris Gladstone. <laughs> 
I mean, I'm so excited. It's it's just awesome. I know. Yeah. It's incredible to see it because I um I, I I had made the list and I was very excited about that and then I'd heard mm. that the books were going into Big W and I was very excited mm. about that and then I was started getting these um, these pictures, these images of them. And we don't have a big W here in my little neck oh. of the South Coast, so I hadn't seen them myself. So it's very, um, very gratifying when somebody sends you a picture like that. It was great. So, yeah, yeah, so it's been a huge weekend is all I can say. Huge. Like it's been, been an incredible weekend. And can I just say, mm. so my session at the at the Readers and Writers Festival, the Shorehaven Readers and Writers Festival, was um, I got to interview Melina Marquetta, um, who, as you know, is a hugely respected yeah. And wonderfully popular author of um, YA. Her book, Looking for Ella Brandy, was yeah, was the Massive. first novel she ever had published, and it just took off mm-hmm. incredibly and became a film, and everybody loves it, mm. and you know all of those sorts of things. So I get to spend an hour on stage with her, having a talk about just you know all of the things we talked about. YA, we talked about her adult fiction, we talked about um, you know, living with characters and then having to let them go and understanding mm. that once they're out in the world, they're not yours anymore. They become somebody else's because, you know, everybody has, um, has thoughts on Josie from looking for Ella Brandy, if you've yeah. ever read it. I mean, it's really interesting because I was just, you know, tootling around on Twitter last week and a very well-respected author was talking about that book and about how mm. much, you know, she loved it and how much Josie had resonated with her as a teenager and how she still read the book every year or two just to kind of, you know, tap into that. And we talked about how Melina somehow has managed to create these timeless teen characters, which is almost important. Um, almost impossible if you think about it mm. because, um, you know, slang and, and the way teenagers talk and, you know, trends yes. move so incredibly quickly in that sort of world. But somehow her books are still read by teenagers today, 25 years later, 25 years later, yeah. still read by teens today and she still gets, you know, um, she still gets mail from them saying how much wow. they love and how 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 much they resonate, the character resonates with them and things like that. So we had this terrific talk and I am, I have convinced her to come on the podcast. So I will be interviewing her, but she has a new book coming out in March next year. So we're going to talk around about then. So you'll have to wait a little while, but I have to say it was a fantastic interview. I so much enjoyed talking to her. It was brilliant. Oh, Melina's awesome, isn't she? Oh, it's, it's, um, you know, it's one of the big bonuses of our job. And I mean, it's, it's kind of nerve wracking. Being up, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? I'm, like, I'm always talking to authors and asking them questions, but sitting mm. in front of an audience asking questions is quite different to, you know, can be a bit about. stressful. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit stressful. Um, but it went, it went very well because I think once you start the conversation and you, re- I, I think the big key, um, and this is, a, this is a tip for anyone who ever has to interview anyone, no matter what yeah. the actual, um, what the circumstances might be, is just to focus on the responses, you know, you have to listen because if you think that you know what someone is going to say and then you just keep going through your list of questions, you really miss um, some of the most interesting parts of the conversation. So there were things that she said that I wasn't expecting and I just basically probed those things more closely because that's where you're always going to get the gold, the nuggets. Yes, in any it is so interview. important yeah. to listen. I know there's a particular ABC um, radio person who clearly doesn't listen when she does her <laughs> interviews because she just goes through her list of questions and the person's mm-hmm. actually already answered the question and she obviously hasn't listened yeah. because then she asks it again and then they have to say, yeah. well, as I just said, blah, 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 blah. Um <laughs> 
So, yeah, very, very important. And actually, just a tip for the day, if you are an author and you're being interviewed, whether it's on a podcast like this or whether you're being interviewed on a panel like what Al just did with Melina Maqueda, and Melina is a consummate, consummate professional, is that make sure that um, it's it's – I think that being humble is a wonderful thing and it's important to be humble in 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 the way you approach things but remember that you bring the energy into the room especially if you're the star attraction. So if you've got really mm. low energy and if you are really you know just really passive your audience, quite frankly, is going to be tired and have low energy as well because that's what you're bringing into the room. So just, um, I, yeah, just important thing to remember when when you're being interviewed as well. Oh, and on I that. I felt the need to say that. <laughs> no, no, I think that's important. But on that as well because the other thing was, so I, I, so I had my interviewer's hat on on Saturday afternoon, but on Friday morning, I had my interviewee's hat on. So, you know, I've done oh. them all in the space of 24 hours, which yeah. is pretty interesting. When I was interviewed for a radio station and oh, yes. we we had discussed, I had discussed with the producer exactly what we were going to talk about, which was the, the festival. Like I'm, I was on to discuss yeah. the festival. I was on to talk about who was going to be involved and how excited we were and all of those sorts of things. And they had asked me if I would send through – because obviously they know that I have a, a journalistic background. They said, oh, will you just send us through some conversation points so that we, you know, I can just hand them to the presenter and he will know mm. exactly what to do. So I did that and I know how these things work. So I did the conversation points and I put all of the important information up the top and I did I did yeah. all of the things, right? Yeah. So I thought I got – I was all set for my interview. I was sitting in my car because I was I – was, it was just before I was going in to do a school visit. So I'm sitting in the car with one eye on the clock um, waiting to do this interview before I went in and talked to 100 kids about writing. Fine, totally all over that. Um, and then it was getting later and later because, you know, they were they were discussing referees and how badly Ooh. treated they are, so they kept getting talk back. So I was <laughs> uh, listening to the yeah. discussion about referees while I'm waiting and I'm watching the clock and kids are all going mm-hmm. into school and we're doing all that. And then we got on and we had this great conversation. It was a terrific conversation, but it was not about any of the things that I was expecting it to be about. Oh, okay. We talked about that. He talked about the festival. He got, you know, the deta- all the details were in there in the introduction and then we talked about me and we talked about my books and we talked about how to write oh. children's books and we talked about my best tips. Fine, all fine and dandy, but had I not been prepared, like, do you understand, like I, if I had been prepared only for one kind of interview and thinking yes. that that's what it was going to be, mm. I would have been kind of a bit flummoxed. But, you know, I'm not easily flummoxed these days. Isn't that a great word? How much do you love flummoxed? <laughs> I'm not easily flummoxed. These, I'm not flummoxable or not very flummoxable these days. I don't think that is a word, but anyway. Um, so I was okay to roll with that and just to kind yes. of, you know, go with and roll out my various anecdotes that I bring out for these occasions. But um, all I'm saying is you need to be flexible as the person who is being interviewed as well and you need to just try and be prepared for anything and get your information in. The things you want to say, you have to work out how to get them into the conversation that you're having, yes. not necessarily the conversation you were expecting to have. Yep, absolutely. Great, great tips. All right, so we should move on to the world of writing and publishing this week. You right. have a little bit of a wrap-up post to share with us, don't you, Al? I do. You may remember that we've had several conversations over the course of the last few months about the cocky gate situation. Crazy um, situation. was a little bit of a drama <laughs> that occurred in romance writing where um, an author – 
attempted to trademark the word cocky and then Ridiculous. sent out cease and desist um, letters to everyone who'd ever used that word in a mm. romance title ever. Mm. Um, uh, and, you know, that went on and on and it went to court and it did all of those things and the trademarking. Mm. I just wanted to draw everyone's attention to a rather good article um on theverge.com, um, the article is called Bad Romance, um, <laughs> to cash in on Kindle Unlimited, a cabal of authors gamed Amazon's algorithm. And it's got a little bit of a wrap-up of what happened with Cockygate, but it also talks about some of the more interesting um, processes and procedures, shall we say, that are going on behind the scenes when it comes to actually, um, as they say, game um, yeah. Amazon's algorithm. Amazon. And, we talked last week, I think it was last week, the last episode about, um, you know, tips for uh, selling books on Kindle, Kindle Unlimited, et cetera. And I just thought that perhaps people might be interested in following up that um, that whole Cockygate situation for starters. Yep. It gives us a great wrap-up of exactly what happened and also some of the things that were and were going on behind the scenes that Amazon has actually put a stop to in, in many cases. And authors have just had their books just removed from Amazon with with no question all of their books, not just one, wow. but all of their books have come down if Amazon has has had the slightest hint that they've been involved in some of these um, questionable practices. So I think yeah. uh, if it's, you know, if you were following Cockygate and you're interested in a, in a good wrap-up of exactly what happened and, and uh, how it all finished up, um, we will put the link in the show notes and it's yes. worth having look at. Yes, because it's actually quite long and quite comprehensive. And so we don't have the time to go through all of the details in this episode, but we will certainly Mm. put the link in the show notes, which you can find at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. And certainly if you are publishing on Kindle, um, especially self-published, indie publishing, then it's worth a read. So so check it out. And our next link that we have this week is from Writer's Digest and it's called 11 Authors Discuss the Road to Getting a Literary Agent. Now, why have you shared that, Al? Well, I shared it because I've been asked, um, I've had a few questions recently, you know, via my various, you know, places um, about agents and how to get an agent. And I I just thought we haven't really, it's not something we've talked about for a little while and it's quite an interesting one because I'm actually in the process at the moment of considering you know, approaching or, or looking at getting um, a new literary agent myself. I haven't had one for a little while. And um, so I just thought that it was worth um, having a look at this post. It's um, it's on, excuse me, Writer's Digest mm. and it's called 11 Authors Discuss the Road to Getting a Literary Agent. And I think that one of the things um, that it's worth reading this for is just the simple fact that um, – everybody's road to publication is different and your way of getting a literary agent is is potentially different. There is the straightforward send the, you know, query letter out to, Mm. you know, all of the people and hope something turns up. Um, Obviously, I would probably advise a bit more research than just, you know, picking a couple of names out of the the internet and sending it off. Um, It's always a good idea to have a look in the in the back, in the acknowledgements section of any book that you really like or any author whose work you really like that you think is similar to yours. Um, mm. It's good to have a look in the back of their book at the acknowledgements to see who they're, that's generally speaking, where an author, particularly of fiction, will acknowledge their agent. You will see it 
in the acknowledgements pages in the back of their latest novel. Um, yep. Have a look at the kinds of uh, work, the different agents. Another way to do it is to, to look at the different agents, have a look at the authors that are on their list. Most of their mm. websites will list the kinds of people that they are already representing um, because, you know, I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make when they uh, looking for an agent is that they just pull a name out, but you know they don't know. You need to know whether or not the the agent that you're querying actually represents the kind of work that you do. You may yeah. find that those agents don't like fantasy, or they never do yeah. children's fiction, or they don't do, um, you know, any of those um, kinds of things at all. So you need to just basically or they don't sure even do fiction. Targeting. Yeah, or they, they don't. Or they don't even do even fiction. fiction. Some they only do not. Yeah, fiction. that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and I think the other thing too is that, you know, sometimes it takes um, a lot, a lot of persistence to get an agent. Um, one of the yeah. authors here in this particular post, Annie Sullivan, um, who has a book coming out this month, says, you know, in the in her quote in this, I was rejected by over 100 literary agents when mm. I first started querying. 100. Wow. Like that is persistent. Um Despite keeping a detailed, colour-coded spreadsheet of everyone mm-hmm. I submitted to and what their first response was, mm-hmm. her first book did not get her an agent. However, while she was out on submission with it, she wrote another book to keep her mind off all of the rejections that she was getting. And there were days, <laughs> she says, there were days I got six rejections in oh a day. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Needed so, you know. And then she submitted her next book and some of the same agents rejected her again, but some Mm. didn't. So she ended up getting two offers of representation for her book, which is now coming out. So I I think, you know, persistence is definitely one thing. And her, you know, we've talked often in the past about the importance of writing something else while you're waiting. So important. It's out on submission to to publishers or to agents or to anybody is to keep writing something else because, you know, the first book that I ever wrote didn't didn't get me an agent either. Um, Mm -hmm. It didn't get me anywhere. It got me... It actually just, you yeah, know, it really just got me nowhere now that I think about it. So I think it got me, no, you know what it did get me? It got me to the end of a book and it got me to the knowledge that I could actually put a manuscript together, that that number of words would come together for me yeah. if I kept working at it. It got me that, but didn't get me any further than that. So I think it's um, it's probably, it's important to remember that you, the, the one book that you've written may not be the book that is actually going to get you an agent or get you published. So keep mm. writing because every single one that you do is going to be better, every book. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, de- definitely keep us up to date on um, what you end up deciding to do uh, regarding I, your agent now. Yeah. I'm just I'm thinking about it while I weed the garden at the moment, so, you know, there's a bit of a <laughs> process to go through yet. All right. So let's move on to our competition this week. We have three copies of the book Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. Now, Spinning Silver is a new take on the classic fairy tale Rumpelstiltskin. Uh, And Naomi previously wrote Uprooted. So Miriam is the daughter and granddaughter of moneylenders, but her father is not a very good one. Free to lend and reluctant to collect, he has left his family on the edge of poverty until Miriam intercedes. Hardening her heart, she sets out to retrieve what is owed and soon gains a reputation for being able to turn silver into gold. But when an ill-advised boast brings her to the attention of the cold creatures who haunt the wood, nothing will be the same again. For words have power and the fate of a kingdom will forever, will be forever altered by the challenge she is issued. Wow. Okay. So uh, we have three copies of this book by Naomi Novik. Uh, just go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. 
and follow the instructions to win a copy for yourself. Entries close on the 13th of August. So that's writerscentercomau slash win. And remember, if you're listening to this podcast in the future, don't worry, just go to that URL and there will be another book there for you or some other competition there for you to enter. Now, Alison? Yes. <laughs> Are you ready for the word of the week? I am so ready, Val. So incredibly ready. <laughs> Does that sound genuine and authentic? It's so, so, so genuine. Ratiocination. Ratiocination. Ratiocination or ratiocination? Well, I did look up how to pronounce it and there were conflicting, conflicting reports. So it could be ratiocination or ratiocination. But basically ratiocination. Or ratiocination, yes. So there were conflicting reports. So to spell it, it's the word ratio, R-A-T-I-O, and then sination, C-I-N-A-T-I-O-N. So this basically is a fancy word that means working out something logically or with reasoning. So you might say the ratiocination or ratiocination for that conclusion was based on analysing lots of data over a period of time. And when you think about it, it kind of does make sense because it comes from, you know, rationale, which is the logic behind uh, the reasoning behind something, um, and and which it means it's like ratiocination it could, has to be because it makes more sense because it's rational, right? Ratiocination, yes, it's, yeah, true. I think it's that. I'm going with that, right? Logically, okay. I All right, logically, ratio- <laughs> the, yes, the ratiocination the rash- behind ratiocination it. <laughs> for my conclusion is that it's based on rationale or rational. So, okay. Should we go that with was that? very meta. I love that. Okay, so ratiocination. I, well done, See Al. what I did there? See what Alison, I did there? Alison's getting into the word of the week, everyone. <laughs> 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 All right, cool. Let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Our writer in residence is Anna Snookstra. Now, she shook up the crime writing world with her first novel, Only Daughter, that was shortlisted for the Ned Kelly Awards and later optioned for film. But now she has written her first YA novel, but it is also a, you know, like a crime thriller, and that's Mercy Point. So let's have a chat to Anna Snookstra. Thanks for joining us today, Anna. Thanks so much for having me. Now, congratulations on your latest book, Mercy Point. Now, if there are some listeners who haven't got their hands on the book yet, can you just tell us what it's about? Uh, so it's a very twisty, turny book, so I have to be careful with how much I say, but basically <laughs> it's about a group of teenagers in uh, – it's a fictional town, but it's, I think, pretty clearly based on uh, Katoomba and the Blue Mountains. Mm-hmm. And uh, this group of teenagers, they've met online. They all are sure they're adopted and they can't talk to their family about it. So. Instead, they talk to these strangers that they've met online. But, of course, when they finally meet up, the strangers are people that they know. It's a small town, people that they go to school with and people that they vehemently hate. So they decide we're never going to talk to each other again. We're never going to be friends. We're just going to forget any of this ever happened, even though they've been very uh, honest with each other online in a way that they weren't in real life. Mm. And 
um, they so they'd make that decision, but then they realize that there's something a lot more sinister going on than just adoption and their parents are all hiding it from them. So they kind of have to work together to find out what this secret is and they realize this secret is much bigger and actually goes to kind of the center of the town itself rather than being, being just about them and it just gets darker and darker as they go along. What a great premise for a book. Now, how in the world did this enter your brain? What made you think of this premise? Um, well, I actually find it uh, really fun. I don't know if fun's the right word, but <laughs> really interesting, I guess, to uh, write about the things that you're really scared of. And I remember when I was a bit younger, when I was probably about 12, 13, I think maybe I just watched the Truman Show and I was really <laughs> scared of this idea that, you know, the people around you kind of have something they're hiding from you and that they're, um, you know, this kind of whole idea that you can't trust the people around you to the people that you should love. And uh, it's something that I, yeah, you think about a lot when I was a little kid and then kind of forgot about. And then uh, a few years ago, I read an article about Russian sleeper agents and the way that they, mm. yeah, and the way that they, you know, have lied to their whole family. Some of them had, you know, they got married, they had kids and they had no idea who they really were. And so I found that idea just so terrifying and also so interesting. So I guess that was the starting off point and then it all got a lot more complicated from there, but that was where the kind of seed of the idea began. Yeah, so now let's just take it back a bit because your debut novel, Only Daughter, uh, was released to great success. In fact, Universal Pictures have optioned it as well. Why did you decide, when that was adult fiction, why did you decide to then do YA for this book? Uh, well, I guess there's a few reasons. I mean, for me, I've actually always wanted to do young adult and writing adult crime, and in some ways that was the diversion from writing young adult. So I, um, I've been writing, I'd always been interested in kind of coming-of-age stories and things like that, and I um, entered the Sisters in Crime short story competition, The Scarlet Stiletto. Yeah. Yeah, which is a great competition, and it was something I hadn't really thought of before writing crime, and then when I wrote this short story for that competition, I realized that it was just such a good fit for me and it, I was so interested in it and it kind of things, everything just clicked together and I found it really easy to write that kind of thing and just really natural for me. And so I, yeah, I just kind of went with that and embraced that and started writing crime. But in the back of my mind, I really had always wanted to write young adult and so mm. it kind of swooped back around to young adult. When I thought of this concept, it seemed like a much better fit for a young adult kind of readership rather than a crime adult readership. So you live in Melbourne, mm -hmm. but the book is set in, it's not Katoomba, but you know, <laughs> but, yeah. and, but Katoomba is the Blue Mountains of Sydney, like an hour and a half kind of like west of Sydney. How did that work? Like why did you, how do you know the area or how did that work? I've been, I'd been there a few times and I found it really interesting I think it's just such a beautiful, beautiful kind of magical place. And I guess writing about it was an excuse to literally physically go there uh, as a way of kind of, you know, researching, but also going there in my mind. For some reason, I've just always been interested in mountain towns. This is something that I find just so fascinating about them. And I love to watch things that in mountain towns. Uh, and I also went to Varuna uh, last year. Yes. Early year and did the two-week residency which was just fantastic and that just made me love it even more in Katoomba. 
Yeah, right. Wow. So when did you um, uh, when did you first kind of think, you know, I want to be a writer? Uh, well, I think it was pretty early for me. I mean, when I was a kid, I had a lot of problems hearing and problems with my ears. And so I felt quite kind of shut off from people and I found it hard to communicate because because I was having problems mm. with my ears, I also was having problems verbalizing and speaking and it took me a lot longer than most people to talk and when I did learn to talk I had a terrible lisp and I was so embarrassed about it and so I would just not speak even when I could speak and because I had trouble hearing people it just made it even worse so uh, I also had real trouble reading and writing but uh, I was lucky to go to a really great school in Canberra and they really helped with that and really encouraged it and I think when you have a teacher saying to you oh, you're so good at this, you know, and really encouraging you. You just mm. think, oh, okay, I must be really good at this. But I think they were in some ways back then just trying to say it to to make me feel more positive about it. But when I um, found writing, I think it was just a way for me to kind of have a bit of a voice that I didn't have in a literal sense. And a yes. And what I was feeling inside because I found it so hard to talk. So it was mm. a really early thing for me. And so when you are writing, so whether that's Only Daughter or Mercy Point, when you're in the thick of it, do you is it something that you uh, focus on full time or do you, like, do you have that um, opportunity to do that or is it something that you do after hours or how, how does it work on a practical level in the way you fit it into your life? Uh, well, it's really changed actually. The last few years, everything in my life has really been changing quite quickly uh, so when I wrote Only Daughter I was working at a cinema and so I'd write during the day and I'd work at the cinema at night time and I never thought of writing as a job in any way so for me I was everyone was like oh you've got it's like you've got two jobs but I didn't mm. see it that way at all because I just loved mm. writing so much and mm. so that was one way of doing it and, and, and that actually treated like I quite enjoyed that in a lot of ways uh, it was quite tiring after a while and uh, so I did that for Only Daughter and then when Only Daughter got published and I was traveling a lot, I ended up leaving that job at the cinema and mm. have just been focusing on writing full time. I do a few other things like I work at a uh, 100-story building, which is, have you heard of that one? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's one in Sydney as well. A, um, it's kind of a center for, I guess, a center for youth literature in um, Footscray here and so I work with them and I do bits and pieces I teach some writing classes sometimes at RMIT so kind of little bits and pieces like a bit of a patchwork that comes together um, which is which can be really fun as well and it's nice that now when I'm not writing I'm often doing things that are similar or have something to do with writing as well. And so when you are and so now that you're able to concentrate on it a bit more than when you're at the cinema mm -hmm. Yeah. With this book, specifically then Mercy Point, did you have, um, well, firstly, a deadline from a publisher and therefore did you have to, uh, in a certain number of months, generate this manuscript and how did you then discipline yourself to get it to the right point at the right time, like in terms of your output? Well, with this one, it was a bit of a funny one because I I wrote Only Daughter and then I wrote the first draft of Mercy Point because I'd read I'd read, you know, so many writing manuals, so many blogs about writing and 
there's that really good advice, which is that once you've finished writing your first book, you should start writing your second when you're sending it out, which I think is really, really a great idea. But I didn't really understand that if you write something that's for a certain kind of readership and a certain genre, that publisher's probably going to expect you to your second project to be similar. And I, I had yes. no idea about that. I never even thought of it. And so I wrote, yeah, an adult crime book and was like, okay, I think my next one's going to be a young adult thriller with a bit of sci-fi and that'll be fine. And so I sent it to my publisher after my daughter and they looked at it and were like, well, you know we don't even publish young adult fiction. And I thought, oh, oh, okay. Hmm, I hadn't even thought of that. I just thought publishers have published anything that the author wrote. And, um, and at the time I'd been writing some picture books as well, so I thought, oh, okay, I guess I should put those away. And uh, so I kind of put Mercy Point to the side um, for a while and just focused on the crime writing and then came back to it. Because the thing is about crime writing as well is I, I love it and I think there's so much about it that's so fascinating and yeah. But then on the other side, researching crimes all day and thinking about it all the time, it kind of puts you in touch to a pretty dark part of your mind, which can be pretty confronting sometimes and it puts you in a bit of a strange (laughs) mindset. Um, Not the best person to have at dinner parties sometimes because your (laughs) brain just leads to the most horrific thing you've read that day and everyone Mm. looks at you as if you're totally crazy. And uh, so writing Young Adult, even though it is a thriller still, it was it was quite nice to write something that was a bit more hopeful and a bit more positive and really it's a story about friendship and identity. Mm. And so that was quite nice to come back around to something that didn't give me nightmares. Oh, yes. Well, with, with crime and thriller writing, it's, it is something that is very reliant on the plot and it is so important for it to make sense to the reader and for the reader to be convinced and satisfied at the end. And I have to say I love reading crime and thriller books, but I know that it would not be my skill in mm-hmm. to be able to write them because of the complexities um, that are inherent in a crime and thriller book. With this book or and, you know, with, with your first book as well, did you um, did you know all of the plot points before you started, and did you map it out, or did you let it unfold and let the the crime and, and all of the characters and what they did and how they reacted unfold as you started I, to write it? Yeah, it's interesting. I think I fall in between those two categories. That whole Potter Panther. Thing. I think I'm kind of in the middle of that spectrum a little bit, probably more on the plotter side, just because my background is all screenwriting and film. And so I find structure really, really interesting. So in terms of plot and, and things like that, I really like structure and I find it so, so helpful. I don't know how someone just sits down at a computer and just starts from nothing. I would find that completely terrifying. Um, so I do do a lot of plans beforehand just in terms of getting the structure right. But my usual method is to write something quite short to begin with that's got the structure all there, you know, only about 30,000 words or so, and then just let it grow and grow and grow and grow. And especially with the character, I feel like characters and that more emotional side of things, you don't want to plan it too much. You want it to, to feel organic and 
to let that kind of magic of writing exist. So I think for me when I write, it's this real push and pull between those two things because they don't necessarily sit perfectly together and wanting to, yeah, structure something perfectly but also let it grow organically. So wow. it, it kind of just keeps flicking back and forth between the two as I go and I often have to do a lot of editing and but I, I do find uh screenwriting techniques are really helpful especially when you're when you're editing at that final mm-hmm. stage just to find the things that aren't working because sometimes it's hard to know exactly why something's not working you can feel that it's not working but you don't know yeah. how to fix it and I think that things like the there's something called the eight sequence method I find that so so helpful and really getting into the nuts and bolts of it can really, really help. And even doing kind of diagrams and mapping your story visually I think can be really helpful as well. So I'm intrigued by this. You write the short version of around 30,000 words Mm -hmm. and then let it grow. Can you expand on that? Because I'm not entirely clear on how you let it grow. Like you write the 30,000 words and hope that they multiply or what do you physically, but on a practical level, what do you do Mm. to then make those 30,000 words more? Well, so basically, usually I start and I'm so excited about an idea and so excited about what's going to happen. And so I find it hard to move at a regular pace. I kind of speed through the book. And I just get so excited to get from one stage to the next. And so I kind of, the whole book is there, but it's so condensed. It's almost like a screenplay in some ways because it's just kind of action, 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 and just all the bits that I'm really excited about together. And you can't really write a book that's at that pace. You need to leave a little bit of breathing room for the reader and and for the characters within the book as well. So usually, yeah, I, I think, oh, this is beautiful it's perfect and I write and write and write and then I look at it and I go oh I finished and it's only 40,000 words <laughs> or 30,000 words and then I put it to one side and I get usually get a bit upset and have a glass of wine and I'm like oh no I don't know what I'm going to do now and so then then I go back over it and look through it and realize that it's just yeah this this kind of speed race and I start kind of yeah going back in and and just pulling things apart a little bit and really going into to each action and finding more of the motivations and, and letting that be on the page. I think I suffer from something a lot of writers do where it's in my head but I'm not necessarily putting it on the page and I think that yeah. happens a lot. So I'll go over it and expand it and expand it. And I think I, when you write something, you start off with this really clear idea of what you want to write as well and, and what it's going to be and then you'll write it and because it has to be expanded, sometimes you lose sight of that and I find it really interesting to to have that clear idea and then to write a substantial amount of words and then to go back to that idea and say, is this actually explaining what I wanted to and, and saying what I want to say? And often the answer is no. So then I, mm. I go back to it with those clear ideas in my head and and see what what works and what doesn't and, yeah, what where there needs to be a bit more. So give me, can you give me an idea of some timelines here? So how long might it take you to do the, the first 30,000 words and then then how long do you spend on the, the fleshing out? Uh, so I guess the first 30,000 words usually, because I'm so sure I'm, I think, oh, I'm going to write a whole novel in two months and it's going to be great. So, I, um, yeah, I guess you know, not even that long, like two, two or three months, and then I'll realise that it's, 
it needs a lot more work and a lot more development and I need to just calm down a little bit. <laughs> and uh, that'll, that'll, so usually I'll take about a month or two off, off it completely and just won't look at it for a little while. And then I'll reread it and I'll go back over it and then I guess another another year or so in in the pulling out and yeah and um, developing a bit more and giving things a bit more space mm, to breathe. Okay, so with um, your characters, you were talking about your characters before, and um, do you uh, and and this has a, a group of characters that mm-hmm. are uh, that are all integral. To the story, do you start off with a particular character that you're very clear in your mind, or do you do you develop all of them? Do you have dossiers on them? How do you keep track of your characters and their differences and their quirks and their um, idiosyncrasies and, and characteristics and, and all that sort of thing? Well, I guess to begin with, uh, especially with this book and, and with everything I write. I just have so many notebooks and I'm always writing down ideas and concepts in notebooks. And then the, I usually don't even look back at what I've written, but the things that stick in my head are the things that stay. And sometimes I'll look back, you know, at the previous notebook of something that I'm halfway through developing and all these ideas will be there that I've forgotten about and they just so don't work. And so I think it's really interesting to, yeah, work those things out just with pen and paper but whatever sticks in your head is the thing, the character that's, you know, the real uh, kind of core of that character. And then um, so on a more practical level when I'm actually writing it, I mean, this one was quite difficult to write having four perspectives but mm. one plot that they all in together. But I thought it was really important for what I was kind of trying to say with it, which was the difference between how people seem and how they really are. And um, so I, it was really interesting to have three people's perspectives on, on one person and their all perspectives would be different and then that person's real self and also the way they saw themselves, which could be different. Mm. So each character could have five or six different versions of themselves within the book just to make it really difficult. And uh, it was quite hard but it was also really exciting and really fun um, I was really lucky to discover uh, Scrivener, everyone was telling me about oh, it. yes. <laughs> and so last year I finally was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to give Scrivener a try. And it, that was so, so helpful for me just to be able to, because before that I just had it in one big word document. Yeah. And so I, I had the same thing last year. I, I had the, I think it was about 40,000 words, the, the um, manuscript. Yeah. So I pulled them all separately and made sure and had each four stories work. Right. Yeah. And so each character had their own separate stories. And so I tried to make those those four separate books work on their own merit and make sense themselves and the character growth makes sense and kept them all separate right to the very end and then put them back all together and then reread it again and made sure it worked all one thing. So, yeah, that would really, work really fun. well with Scrivener. It was very helpful because I was mm. trying to do that before with Word and it, it was really difficult. And I think stuff like that people don't necessarily talk about that much with writing, but the program where that you use in a, in a practical sense can make a huge difference to the way you approach something. And it really helped, really, really helped me because it was a bit of a, a kind of patchwork quilt and, and stripping it back and then putting it back together it really helped. 
Yeah, definitely. I think Scrivener's um, really useful when you've got those different points of view or different timelines or, yeah, mm-hmm. um, definitely. So tell me about your typical day while you're in the throes of writing a book. Do you mm-hmm. aim for a word count or do you have any, like, rituals or or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky I have a writing space. I share a studio uh, space with a bunch of other creatives uh, in Thornbury. It's actually an old football factory. Uh, and oh. I think my spot in it used to be the reception. We're not sure. We're trying to figure out how it all works because uh, it's a bit of a strange kind of Robert Warren type space. But, uh, yeah, I think I'm in the, in the old reception section. And uh, so that's really fantastic being able to just have a space that's just for writing. Mm. Uh, so I guess for me, I mean, one of those things where you aim to get there at 8.30 every day, but I probably don't mm. get in until closer to 10. And then mm. you already feel like you're behind. Mm. And so you sit down, you kind of have this mad race. I mean, you have to, you know, do your emails and all the practical practical side of it. But uh, I usually have a list and I'm also a big believer in something I know some other writers do where you finish the day before in a part that you're really excited about mm. and you know that you could finish it all in that day but rather than rather than doing it all and then starting the next day kind of being a bit unsure, you, you kind of, even if you finish halfway through a sentence, like in the middle of a sentence, so then the next day it's right there and it's really immediate. So usually I'll read over at least the chapter, if not a few chapters, just to kind of get more in the tone of it and I'll keep writing and I try and uh, I'll try and leave the studio for lunch, and there's a park quite close to me. I'll go and sit in the park, and I'll read one short story every day at lunchtime. Oh, and I find that okay, really helpful. Yeah, it's a really I, I really enjoy doing it. It's a really nice thing to do. I think mm. um, just yeah, one complete story every day, and just working your way through. I've got a few different um, short story anthologies always sitting on my desk, and working your way through, especially if it's a theme that you're kind of got in your head for what you're writing that can be really helpful and just having that complete story separated from the story you're writing it's really Mm. nice because I find sometimes if you're reading a long kind of epic novel and you're trying to write a novel yeah I don't know you're kind of jumping between these two stories where I really when I'm writing a novel I just want my story in my head um Mm. but yeah so that's really really helpful and and then I guess I usually I'm aiming to leave early and you know, go to yoga or go for a run or something, but I'll end up sitting there until at least seven, at least till it gets dark, kind of tapping away. And that's when I'll finally actually probably do the majority of the writing is that last few hours. Right. Yeah. So I don't know how you can um, be so self-disciplined in that, you know, how you were saying that if you're to, to stop in the middle of something that you're excited about. I mean, if mm-hmm. I was excited about something, I wouldn't be able to stop. Is it hard to do that? Uh, no, I don't know. I guess not really. You have to force yourself, that's true. But because I often get that real burst of kind of momentum with writing, usually where when I'm meant to be, you know, getting home in time for dinner or doing something else, it's, it's kind of nice to leave when you're excited because – if you leave leave it when you're pushing through something and you're feeling kind of uncomfortable with it or it's not quite right, that's such a frustrating place to leave something and mm. you come home feeling frustrated and it will keep ticking around in your head but not necessarily in a pleasant way. 
or it's I think that time away from the computer or away from however you write is just as important as when you actually physically write in and so Mm. having something really positive in your head to just while you're having a shower when I'm in the middle of a project it's just absolutely constant and so yeah it'll just keep ticking around just when I'm walking when I'm on the train all the time and it is hard. I definitely know what you mean to, to stop <laughs> at a point like that. But, yeah, it, I think it definitely makes a big difference. It really helps. Yes. Now, is it um, what's it like working with other people, though, other creatives? Because could that be distracting? Is that distracting or do you kind of just do your own thing? Uh, I do my own thing, but it's – and it's not distracting, but it's, I think it's really fantastic for me at least. Right. I think that because I'm doing it – basically full-time at the moment I've had other times where I've had a place to myself or you know just going to the library or you know working at home as well and it it is really isolating and especially before when I was writing crime which I am again now uh sitting in a (laughs) alone all day in the dark corner researching murder and yeah you know body decomposition and things like that you actually do go a little bit weird and so I think it's a lot healthier for me to have people around doing their own thing and they all do really different things to me as well, which I find really interesting. Like there's a painter and there's a jeweler and yeah, right. there's a girl that yeah has runs her own business and there's all sorts of things going on and that can be really can give you a lot of creative energy as well, just seeing what mm. other people are creating. It's like a mini co working space. Yeah, exactly. It's really nice. Really good. Mm. What is what do you find most rewarding about the writing process and what do you find the most, oh, my goodness, I want to hit my head against the brick wall kind of thing? <laughs> uh, well, rewarding, I think I'm, for me when I'm reading and you're so involved with something that you kind of lose yourself and your physical self and if you're reading on the train and then you look up and you realize that you've missed your stop by three train stations or mm. that kind of feeling, which doesn't happen to me at least all that often when you're so into a story that, yeah, you just kind of dissolve into it. When I get that, when I'm writing, I think is the most rewarding thing where I'll sit right. in front of and, and I'll be just so involved with what I'm writing in that story that, it's bizarre, like you just like you almost it's like you lose your physical body, you just are so in that other world, yeah. and then suddenly you'll you know something will happen, there'll be a noise or your phone will ring or something, and you'll come back and you realize that there's you know four or five hours have gone past, and you're really hungry, mm. and you really need to use the bathroom. But <laughs> I think it's just so amazing that you can do that, and mm. that you can have that experience writing as well as reading. It. That's one of the positives, uh, but <laughs> negatives. I mean. It can be so frustrating. I think for me, editing when things just aren't working and you don't know why, I get just so, so frustrated. When you – because it's just you as well. Like I always get a bit jealous of the the writers that collaborate because I think it would be so amazing to be working on something with someone. I think I would also really struggle with that and find it hard in other ways. Uh, But, but yeah, not being able to talk it out with anyone who knows it the way you do and not being able to problem solve and just you're kind of going around and around in your head in circles is just can be so frustrating because you know it's not working. And I think I can be a very practical person sometimes and not being able to just sit down and figure it out, mm-hmm. I find it just makes me a bit crazy. I just yes. So 
incredibly frustrated and the only thing you can do is just give it time and just keep thinking of it and keep it in the back of your mind until, you know, usually an answer will come when you're not even thinking about it anymore. But I find that really hard because I like to be, you know, if there's a problem, then I will find the solution and I won't stop until I've found that solution. But it's just not really how this kind of thing works, I don't think. So, yeah, yeah, I find that to be the most frustrating for me. I'm intrigued by you mentioned that you start a lot of things in your notebook as in using pen and paper and you develop some things in your notebook. At what point do you, like, do you write scenes in your notebook or at what point do you know, okay, it's time to go to the computer? I'll I'll do all my planning in my notebook. I won't do any planning on the computer. I've tried a few times, but it just, just doesn't work because I think something about being able to delete, I just, I like to be able to scroll and have a million ideas on the page at once and drawings and everything kind of mushed together. Kind of, I like it to be a bit messy and to be mm-hmm. a bit more just straight from your brain onto the page. Yeah. Uh, and so I'll get to a stage where I'm just really, really excited. There's nothing holding me back saying, oh, you need, you need to understand this first or you need to, you know, figure out this side character a bit more. When, when there's nothing really holding me back, then I'll go, onto the computer as quickly as I can right yeah I get so excited and that's why I have that problem where things often are much too short uh Mm. and um but then I will go back to my notebook when there's um when I'm really stuck on something and and I can't push through and then I'll just close I mean I I prefer to use technology like as little as I can anyway but uh yeah I'll go somewhere like even in if you can to go go out in nature is so nice and just bring your notebook and a pen and mm. start trying to write a scene out or a chapter out that way I think is really really helpful as a way to kind of unstick your brain a little bit and I yeah. think that's partly because you can not delete you're not trying to edit as you write at all it's just all straight from yeah your brain onto the page so I, I love notebooks I think that they're, they're really really yeah helpful. I love them. Now, I understand that you've made some short films and music videos. Mm-hmm. What has been your involvement with, in particular, music videos? Music videos? Um, I made a few. Uh, it's been a while now, though, but I uh, would, yeah, uh, I guess, I mean, it's hard to say write a music video, but, you know, write write the concept and yes, direct, direct and produce. And, yeah, at the time I was I really, I was writing my own um short films and feature films and I thought I definitely was going to be do filmmaking so music way music videos was a really fun way of telling a story completely visually without any dialogue or it was kind of a good experiment in that way and and really fun as well and just taking a song and trying to make something auditory visual so yeah I would do everything I would do yeah, writing, directing, producing, just the whole thing. So when you storyboarded the music videos, did you do, did you, did it follow, did the scenes follow the song lyrics or was it completely independent of what the song was saying? Not the direct song lyrics for each, like it wouldn't be a visual representation of the actual words, you know, line by line or anything like that. But it would, I would just try and understand like the feeling of the song and the, the mood of the song and, and more that, like how it was trying to make the person listening to them, to it feel. And right. then I would try and have a visual representation of that feeling. 
Okay, fascinating. Okay, but that's a whole other podcast. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) for next time. (laughs) So, what are you working on now? Uh, Well, I'm working on a few things. Uh, I should be writing the sequel to Mercy Point because everyone who's read it is sending me messages online and, you know, on Instagram and all those things saying, what's going to happen in the sequel? You know, when's it coming out? And I haven't actually started writing it yet. So, but I do have a really strong idea of what's going to happen. So there's that. Um, I'm also, I actually have another book coming out in the next six months, which is my next adult crime book, which I'm really excited, excited about. So things are starting to kind of pep up around that, which is always really exciting. And also, uh, Mercy Points being optioned by a independent, uh, producer in Melbourne. So we're working together to kind of write a screenplay and, and get that ball rolling as well, which is pretty exciting. It's all happening for you. Okay, well, congratulations on your latest book and we look forward to the next one. Maybe you'll surprise your publisher and actually go, I wrote a picture book this time yeah. or something like that. They wouldn't like that. But maybe. <laughs> all right, and let's uh, finish off with um, what would be your top three tips for aspiring writers these days? Oh, my, okay, so my first one would be don't try and write something good, which sounds counterproductive, (laughs) but I think it's really important when you write something, especially when you're first starting out, to not be too focused on whether it's good or not. I think there should be so many more things in your head before that, like, you know, is it trying, is it saying what I want it to say? Why am I trying to tell this story? You know, what kind of hole is it trying to fill rather than is it good? I think if you're too afraid of it being good or bad, it can almost stop you writing because it, you know, is that fear about other people's opinions as you're just trying to tell the story you want to tell. And so I think, you know, try and make it good down the line, but at the very beginning, just allow it not to be good and be okay with that. That would be the big one that um, I don't hear very often, but I think is really, really helpful. For, yep. for people who are starting out. I remember when my friend said it to me and I looked at her like she was insane because <laughs> that just seemed crazy to me, but uh, I found it really helpful. And so I think, yeah, don't don't worry about it being good. The second one kind of fits with that, which is try and not have too much fear when you're writing because the things that are really exciting that new writers are writing are things that really push boundaries and tackle a, a subject that other people haven't tackled in that way before. So I think you know, write your truth and write write in a way without fear, which can be really hard. But mm. if you're scared to write it, often it's something that really needs to be written. So that would be – and then the other one, and I know this is what everyone says, but it, it is just so important, is you have to read. You yeah. can't be a, be a writer without reading. And I know a lot of young writers who some of them they don't – you know, they, they want to write but they get bored when they read and I just – if you want to write, you do. You just you have to be reading a lot. Mm, and not absolutely. just in your genre as well, just all sorts of things, anything you can find. For sure. It's really broadening uh, your, your, you know, the normal things you read and just getting things from all over the place I think is really valuable. All right, great advice. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Anna. Thank you so much. This has been really fun. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. There you go, Anna Snookstra. Now, how cool is that? I reckon, Al, maybe mm. she could make one of Book Boy's music videos because that is not far off. <laughs> and for those of you who are not yet familiar, maybe. if you're new to this podcast, Book Boy is Alison's extremely talented musical son. He's a very musical mm-hmm. son. He, uh, yeah, I don't think we're quite up to the music video stage <laughs> of our existence just yet. It won't yet. be long. It won't He's be working long. on some... He's working on new material at the moment, so maybe once he's kind of like got himself something that he wants to put out as a single, we'll have a chat to Anna then. Yes, awesome. (laughs) Take take over the world at that point. Yes. Yeah. Maybe we'll let maybe we'll let him finish year nine first. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) So no doubt this week you'll be coming down from your big high. Not only that the writers festival is over, but also. You might, you know, you're, you're probably still basking in the glow of being in one of the top 50 kids' books. <laughs> but uh, I, am, I am basking, yep, <laughs> literally basking right now. Yep. As you um, as you bask in that glow, what else are you doing this coming week? Well, excitingly, I've got a few things on this week. I'm off to the um, Illawarra branch of the CBCA is having its annual literary luncheon on Wednesday, um, which is a fantastic initiative where a whole bunch of kids from the local area um, all gather together with all of these authors. There's an amazing bunch of authors going. I know Sue Whiting will be there and Oliver Pomeran normally comes along to that. So, like, there's generally a really good range of great authors um, and everyone gets a table. You get to sit with an author at your table and we have, like, a whole bunch of things. And, um, yeah, it's a really fun day. So I've been involved in that for the past I don't know, this is maybe my fourth year, third or fourth year. So um, I'm off to that. That will be on Wednesday. Um, I have my usual writing group with my local high school on Thursday, which is always a fun time. And then, of course, on Saturday, it is Love Your Bookshop Day, the 11th of August. Uh, That is this Saturday. Yep, the 11th of August. Yep, is Love Your Bookshop Day. So um, I will be doing, um, I don't know, something. I'll be doing something, but I'll be definitely visiting my local bookshops, if nothing else, because – I do love my bookshops, and we have we are so lucky to have several great bookshops down here. We have um, we have two in Nowra, and we also have one out at Huskisson, which is brilliant. So we've I'm um, you know we're lucky. We're well serviced for fabulous uh, bookshops down here on the south coast. So I'm um, awesome. looking forward to that. So I hope you guys will all get out to your local bookshop and you know go and tell them how much you love them because it's absolutely really I'll quite important. And buy a book. Buy my book. Damn it. Yes. Buy my book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why not? Cool. No, really, just buy a book. That would be good. Um, and what about you, Val? What are you doing this week? This week is a lot of mentoring of some of our freelance writing students, so the people who are on our freelance writing masterclass program, which is the people who want uh, who are looking for ongoing support after they do their stage one course. 
And so I'll be mentoring them. I'll be doing an Ask Me Anything Facebook Live so that uh, anyone in that who are members of that group can ask me anything. And that's always usually fun because uh, there's so many interesting questions that, you know, if somebody, if one person's got that question, no doubt lots of other people in the group have that question. So I find it a useful way to to chat to people through Facebook. Mm. Put on Facebook. Yeah, go Facebook. Yes. All right. Not too many. So we... Not too often people say that, is it? Go Facebook. No. Moment. <laughs> no, that's true. Um, but I find it an easy way to connect. Anyway, so yes. where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Poo, that's K-H-O-O, on Instagram and Twitter. And, of course, connect with both of us in the listener community on Facebook. Just um, search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community. It's a bit of a mouthful, but just type that in. So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and uh, request to join. We'd love to have you in there. It's an awesome group full of incredible people from all walks of life but who all love writing. Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.